Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Today, we're going to be in John chapter 20, and you know, I can't help but, but wonder from time to time is, you know, if, if, we, if, we went, if we went back in time, what would, we, what would we think about Jesus? I guess it would all depend on our approximation to him and what, what we had been exposed to, what we had heard, what we had seen, miracles we had experienced. I think that a lot of those things would impact what we think about Jesus. But though there were those that did see and did hear that still said no. So I often wonder... If, if I, and I don't mean this arrogantly, just as a placeholder, if I were King David, would, would I have confidence that God was going to send a Messiah? If I were the prophets, would I, would I truly believe those promises, believing in things that we haven't, haven't seen, maybe even against in, in certain circumstances? I mean, when you're in captivity and, you know, Israel is the hope, I mean, I think in those circumstances you're saying, I don't know how we get there from here. I, maybe they are just a collection of stories. And I think of the disciples and their anticipation of everything Jesus had promised. And then there they are looking at him hanging on a cross. Uh, You know, what do you think over the period of those few days in between Jesus' crucifixion and Jesus' resurrection? What do you do? do? Honestly, there, there there would be no way for us to know. But I do believe that there are a few clues as we look in Scripture and, and one of the things that we may not be able to know is the exact hearts of the disciples, but we can get a really clear glimpse of, of the heart of Jesus. And so it's his heart that I want us to turn us to, turn us to in John chapter 20 is where we're going to be today. John chapter 20, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 19. This is uh, on the day of Jesus's resurrection. Jesus has uh, raised from the dead. Mary Magdalene had gone to the tomb. This is John's account. And, and Jesus is, uh, is not there when Mary gets there. She thinks somebody has stolen the body, and she ends up in, uh, uh, being interrupted by, by Jesus. We'll get to that part of the story in a little bit. But uh, this is, it says that following that same day. So we know that this is the day of the resurrection. So on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, several of Jesus' disciples are, are very well, well known. Uh, books could be and have been written about what we know about them. Men like Peter, James, John, that inner circle, we, we know a lot. We know a lot about perhaps Judas, or at least a lot could be written about Judas. And I dare say, none of you know someone named Judas. That's how much we know about Judas. And the world knows Judas's story. Anybody know a Judas? I was trying to think of if I ever known a Judas. 
I don't think I've ever, I've never, never known a Judas. But some of the rest of these men who changed the world, we seem to know very little about them. So today I want us to look at a, a little lesser known uh, disciple of Jesus, uh, one of his mighty men. But uh, let's look at the life of, of Thomas. And if I were a cheerleader, which I'm not, <clears throat> but if I were a cheerleader and I were to say, when I say Thomas, you say, look at that. When I say Thomas, you say, Thomas. Yeah, so he's kind of, well, I mean, he's lesser known. And there's pretty much one thing that we know about O Thomas, right? And uh, we don't know much more. But we know next to nothing about his early life. But we do know we, don't even know, we don't even know his call to follow Jesus. We don't know exactly what that looked like. From the fact that he went in John chapter 21, he went fishing with Peter. Perhaps he was a fisherman. He was one of the seven that decided to go fishing just after, the, after this account, actually. But we can't know that for sure. And there's no reason to think that they were anything more than just friends. The name Thomas is actually an Aramaic name, which means the twin. And uh, he also has another name in Scripture, Didymus, also called, I mean Thomas, also called Didymus. Didymus is actually a Greek word. Anybody want to guess what it means? Twin. And I really doubt that his name was Twin Twin. That puts a different light on Thomas. Uh, so no doubt Thomas, or Didymus as he was known, is a nickname. What does it imply that his nickname was the Twin he probably had a sibling that was a boy or a girl that was a twin. Some people say uh, that maybe Matthew was his twin because every, every time the disciples are mentioned, Thomas and Matthew are always listed together. But I really feel like if Thomas and Matthew were twins, Thomas wouldn't be the twin and Matthew is the tax collector. I think you'd have to choose which, you know, both of them would, I don't know how that would exactly work, but there is absolutely no uh, evidence that they were, that they were anything that, uh, other than, than friends here. But uh, the Bible doesn't refer much about Thomas. We know very little. In fact, he's only mentioned in 12 verses in all four of the Gospels. Well, actually, including the book of Acts 12 times. He's mentioned three times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, uh, and this is only when all the disciples' names are listed. We, we, have, we have very little about Thomas in the synoptic gospels. He's only mentioned in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, as being present in the upper room. That's all we know about Thomas from the book of Acts. Eight of the verses that mention Thomas are in the gospel of John. He's mentioned in John chapter 11, verse 16. And John chapter 14, verse 5. We're going to look at both of those verses in just a little bit. But in John chapter 21, verse 2, Thomas is listed as one of the seven that went fishing with Peter after the resurrection. The other five verses are the ones we're going to read today. So there's very little account. I say all that just to paint a picture that we know very little about this, this mighty man following Jesus. But for 2,000 years, I think Thomas has received some really bad press. It's, I think it's unfair and probably unjust to reduce the whole persona of a man into a single moment 
of his life. This past Friday, I had the honor to do a funeral for uh, someone who had lived 102 years. That is a long time to live. Can you imagine reducing a person's life that have lived 102 years into a single moment to speak about someone's life? And yet that's what we have done with Thomas. To think that you know someone because you've read how he handled a, a singular moment. But from every reader of the Bible and even scholars from time to time, he's given the name Doubting Thomas. He's been portrayed as a man filled with doubt and filled with fear. But I think the Bible actually reveals a different side of Thomas too. Now, his primary problem was not his doubting, though he does seem to be quite a pessimist. He was a kind of a glass half empty kind of person. He, he seems to look at the negative side of the situation first. And I like that about Thomas. Uh, some people would say he's a pessimist. I think he's a realist. Uh, that's what all pessimists say, by the way. So I want us to look at some of these uh, admirable qualities of Thomas too. And yes, the message is not purely about Thomas, but I'm just trying to set the, the introduction to this. He was incredibly loyal to Jesus. He loved Jesus desperately. He had an inquisitive spirit about him. He was skeptical, but his skepticism was, was not misplaced. It was the right kind. It was a kind that was open to belief, that needed more information and able to make, in order to be able to make a good decision. So if you look at verse 24 of John chapter 20, uh, you reflect back to verse 19. Why are the disciples even there? It says the door was locked. And I hear a lot of people talking about, well, they were having church together. After all, it was Sunday. But remember, for the Jews, the Sabbath is Saturday. Why are, the, why are these, these men together on a, the first day of the week? Well, it doesn't it say the doors were locked for what reason? For fear of the Jews. They, they had just crucified Jesus and they had been accused of being his followers. And so here they are. Now, if you go back into the previous context, when Mary Magdalene's at the tomb, Jesus tells Mary, go and tell the brothers what you have seen and what you have heard. And I'm paraphrasing that. But go tell them what you have seen and what you have heard. And there's no doubt that she gets back to Jerusalem and she says, guys, you will not believe this. I have experienced Jesus. He is not dead. He is alive. And he told me to come back and tell you these things. And you know what they all decided to do? We all need to get together. And we need to talk about this. They were all bearing the same burdens. They were all sharing the same grief. And so they all get into the same room and they lock the door behind them. That's why they are together. So it's no doubt that Mary's message is the thing that brought them together. And while it did bring them together in the moment, it did not bring closure to the issue of Jesus. They are still behind locked doors. I think that this supposes that there's a little bit of concern and a little... If Jesus had been with them, the doors would not be locked. So there's still a little bit of, I don't know about Mary, maybe she's hallucinating. Maybe she's seeing what she wants to see, what she needs to see to be at peace and settled. So we'll all join together, but click. Now, Thomas is already separated from them. Look at verse 24. We are told that he is not with them. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. 
So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will, what? Never believe. There's no way. If Mary found Thomas and she said to him, Jesus is alive, what did Thomas say? No, he's not. All the other disciples are getting together, Thomas, if she found him. Well, I'm not coming. I know what I saw. In John chapter 11, verse 16, Jesus uh, hears about Lazarus is sick. Lazarus is a dear friend of his, and Mary and Martha are there. And, And Jesus delays his going to Lazarus. He finds out Lazarus is already dead, and it's at that moment that Jesus decides, okay, let's go to Jerusalem. This is really late, like only a week or so before the crucifixion. This is late in Jesus' ministry. Word has gotten out. And so Jesus says to them, we're going to go to Jerusalem, and the disciples, their knees begin to knock against each other. Jerusalem. Everybody in Jerusalem hates us. The the high priest hates us. Rome hates us. All of the priests hate us. And word has gotten out. Everybody knows us. When we get there, everybody's going to know. Go to Jerusalem. You know what Thomas, you know what Thomas is the one who said, oh, well, let's just all go and die. Now, I think that this is tongue in cheek. I think he's being sarcastic here. But Jesus is dead set on going to Jerusalem. But Thomas can't imagine Jesus going to Jerusalem without him. Because Thomas's life is wrapped up in Jesus. Whatever happens to Jesus now happens to Thomas. And so what does Thomas decide to do? Well, if you're going, we're going, and we'll just all go and die. Now, that's not very hopeful, right? That's not a hopeful thought uh, that Jesus can't go into Jerusalem and not die. Although maybe, maybe Thomas was on something there. Uh, but... But I I sense this incredible loyalty from Thomas. Wherever you go, we're going to go. In John chapter 14, later through that week, Jesus told his disciples that he's about to go away. And he tells the disciples that they know where he's going and they know the way to get there themselves. And it was Thomas that responds by saying, I need more information. Jesus, you're you're talking here. I need more information. Thomas was not afraid to be. Now, Peter was the guy who was not afraid to give the answers. But Thomas was the guy who wasn't afraid to ask the questions. And his questions didn't seem to be motivated by doubting Jesus. He He desired to know more about what Jesus was talking about. If anything, Thomas, I feel like, again, it's my sense But Thomas is wanting to be prepared that he's all in. If Jesus goes away, this is the time to ask, wait a minute, I don't know where you're going. I I don't know the way that you're going. I want to know. I want to be prepared. I want to be ready for this. I don't think Thomas is doubting Jesus. I think Thomas is doubting Thomas himself. He's questioning his ability, his understanding, and his role in the kingdom. And I think that's true in every circumstance where we find Thomas He's questioning his ability. So regardless of these two passages, reveal a man who is not fearful, who doesn't question Jesus' messiahship. He's inquisitive, not doubtful. So if you lay that filter on top of this next story of Thomas, it begins to show some things about him. Thomas seems to be exceedingly brave. 
incredibly loyal to Jesus, even unto death. He loves Jesus more than he loves his own life, and he would rather die than live without Jesus. So when Jesus dies on the cross, we have to say, how did Thomas process it? Again, this is extra biblical. We don't know for sure what Thomas is going through, but based upon the relationship and the information that we do have, Thomas is shattered. Thomas can't see a future. Life is over as he knew it. Every hope, every dream, and surely he thought the worst. He became missing. He became despondent, depressed, discouraged, and separated from the rest of the guys. Not because he didn't care, but because he did care very deeply. He was an all-in follower of Jesus. He was not gathered with the others by choice. And, and here's how I know for sure. We say, well, that doesn't, the scripture doesn't say that. I think that it does say that because when given the you should have been there, he is still, no, I won't be there. Not unless I see it with my own eyes. So obviously we can't know much for sure. And most of what I've said so far is just the narrative of the story and filling in the gaps, which that'll get you in trouble sometimes. But what we can know for sure is that his absence was intentional. We can know that without Jesus present in Thomas's mind, there is no point in gathering. If Jesus isn't there, there's no point in gathering. I do not need you guys to help me grieve. I don't need you to help me get over it. And some people grieve this way. I just need to be alone. I need to figure this out on my own. But he was not there because he was brokenhearted. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. And I am not want to sit there and let you tell me that it's going to be okay. And here's what we're going to do. I don't need that. I need to, I need to process this some more. But these men, all of them, I think even including Judas, were 100% convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. After all, look what they had seen, what they had heard, walking on water, Lazarus raised from the dead. How could anybody look at Jesus and not be convinced? Yeah, he's the Messiah, all right. Hanging on a cross, he's the Messiah. In the tomb, that's the Messiah. We've been waiting on him for thousands of years. He is the hope of Israel. But I know what I saw. And if that's the one we've been waiting for, and he is, now what are we waiting for? It's not just wrapped up in Jesus and wrapped up in Thomas. This is wrapped up in all of Israel. Now what is, there, what is, what, what is life? What matters? Emptiness. Maybe even some sense of betrayal. What do we wait on? Where is our hope? So this... In my mind, there is this flood of competing emotions battling for his heart and his mind. But Thomas is somewhere else when Jesus comes to them. Now, we've already read it, but I want to kind of go back to verse 19. Whatever the reasons that Thomas had, whatever excuses that he had for not gathering that day, Thomas missed a ton I think this is one of the reasons why in the book of Hebrews it says that we shouldn't forsake the assembling together. It doesn't say church attendance. It says the assembling of ourselves together is the manner of some. We need to be not alone. 
We need to be together to process life together. We need each other's stories and each other's encouragement. We need to be together talking about the purpose and direction of Jesus together. Thank God that he's given us an opportunity for us to be able to gather together weekly and more often than that so that we can keep each other encouraged. In verse 19, Thomas missed it. The thing, everything Thomas needed, Thomas missed. I I know that I saw Jesus on the cross. I just need Jesus. If I could just have Jesus, you know what? Jesus came, Thomas missed it. He missed the presence of Jesus. Why? Because he was focused on his, his own heart, focused on his own self, handling things on his own. Verse 19, listen, I love this. Jesus appears in a locked room with scars. Not not purely supernatural and not purely in body. Jesus maintains the marks of the cross even after the resurrection. Thomas missed seeing that. It's one thing to see Jesus like with the beautiful bleached white gown on, you know. It's another thing to see Jesus resurrected with scars in his hand and being able to display the hole in his side. Thomas missed it. This is proof of the resurrection. The scars are proof of the crucifixion and his presence behind a locked room is proof of the resurrection. Thomas missed it. Thomas missed it. All he could see was Jesus still on the cross in his mind. Verse 19, Jesus begins by, now listen, Jesus is resurrected and he says to them, Peace. Now, I don't know about you, but in that moment, I'm kind of wondering about peace. You know, a man that I saw hanging on the cross shows up and says, hey, peace to you. Look at my scars. When's the last time somebody, hey, you want some peace? Look at my scars, right? But Jesus offers peace with these scars. Verse 21, Jesus told them. He gave them ministry. He gave them purpose and direction. That was something Thomas was missing. What do we do now? Jesus says to them, I'm giving you, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Guys, I have a plan for you. And I know at this moment, these guys are still wondering, we don't know what to do. Jesus is resurrected, that's great, but we're still kind of of set outside of what we thought this was gonna look like. And all of a sudden, here it is again. The purpose and direction is back. God has a plan. Jesus has a plan for this moment, for us from now on. Verse 22 and 23, it may be the most telling he missed the giving of the Holy Spirit to them when Jesus breathed on them the missed the Holy Spirit and then gave them authority over sin and forgiveness. Thomas missed a lot. And the others told him about it in verse 25. Let's look down there. Thomas learned the hard way. There are some things you just need to see for yourself. He's a good picture of why being faithful to gathering with God's people is so important for us. And and I'm just going to harp for just a moment. I really feel like this is a a good opportunity to, 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 to speak to this. I feel like we as a church, big, big C church, are beginning to lose the value of being together. And I'm really trying to be kind there because I know that that's true. And I've watched it over the last 20 years of this declining around the world of people not 
finding the value of church anymore, people wanting a relationship with Jesus but not other Christians, people being talking about offended and people here and there. And they, uh, Jesus, at least for people who Jesus wasn't first, Jesus was at least second, but now Jesus is competing against third and fourth re, uh, place in their life. And church attendance is boom, 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 difference does it make. You hear more and more excuses. People used to wouldn't give those things. Say, you know, people, and, and, and thank God, I don't feel like we feel that as much as I hear other pastors talking about the decline of church attendance, but we deal with it too. It's like if there's any other reason not to be in the room, and I'll take another step further. Once that begins, there seems to be a, a very consumeristic mindset where you go to church for what I can get. You go to church for people to invest in you, but we have forgotten that church is actually a mutual experience. It's an investing in one another. It's not just being ministered to. It's a place to minister. It's not just a place for your kids to come and learn. It's a place for your kids to come and serve. It's a place for them to watch mom and dad have gospel conversations with other families and to interact with each other and to lay hands on each other and pray over each other and cry together and reach their neighbors with each other. Not a place to come and sit and listen to a lecture. And I'm, sa I'm saddened to say that I feel like that's what that's what we've turned church into, is just non-participatory. Just come and sit and view. You can come to church for years and not know people's names. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to change it. I don't know how to change it. We can have a lot more ice cream and uh, get together on off nights. But you know, when we have things that is, as a church for us to socialize at and to get to know each other, nobody comes. People don't want to come to that. They want to come where they can get something or feel like they're receiving something. Again, don't feel like I'm beating you up. I'm not. Thank God for us. But I need us to think about those things. But coming and just hearing a message may not be the most beneficial thing you get on a Sunday morning. It's relationships. Thomas needed Peter. And Peter needed Thomas. And I'm just using those guys they needed each other. They needed to be in the room together to grieve. And Thomas missed everything Thomas didn't know he needed was delivered the day that he missed the gathering. And he didn't even know he needed it. Being faithful to church is more than just being faithful to Scripture. It's more than just being faithful to mission. And we do live in a day where now, I'm going to say this for those of you who may not have been in our church for very long. The best part of our church are the people. It's the, it's the best part. Uh, and if you are at church and you don't know the people, you don't know the best parts. If you come to church for a sermon, that, that's, that's not, I'm glad you're here. I'll just say it that way. I'm glad you're here. But if you're missing the relationships with one another, that, that's, that's where the supernatural really happens is in relationships with God's people. There's people here who love the mission of the church, who love the outreach of the church, who's been benefited because of the love and the compassion of the church. But I'm telling you, the reason to stay is the people you're sitting beside. Verse 25, it says, and I want you to really pay attention to this because it's hidden a little bit. It's hidden a little bit. The other disciples told him, some translation said, said to him. But the other disciples, when they found Thomas in verse 25, they told him that they had, everything that Jesus had said and everything that they had seen, 
And now there's just a, a little verb. It's a little verb told or spoke. And it's, it's the Greek word lego. And, and you'll miss it. It's easy to miss. It's really easy to miss in English. But it's in the imperative sense. I know you don't care about that. And I don't know, you may not care that it's an it's active voice. All of these things really matter in Greek. It's super detailed, right? I know you don't care, but it's very important for the point. So it's imperative, which means that it's on and on and on and on and on. And it's active, which means it never, it never stops. So I want you to picture when they're telling, they don't have a spokesman. The picture in Greek is that they were talking over each other and would not stop. Probably the most heard word in this conversation when they finally found Thomas, they were so excited was and, 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 and all 10 of them, and, and, and. Can you just, the exuberance? I want you to experience the excitement that they have because they just saw the resurrected Jesus. He just, he just put an exclamation point on everything and they are fearful and they are lost and they are desperate and all of their hope in a second was restored. All their purpose in a second restored. Peace, scars, direction, hope, optimism, Thomas. And what did Thomas do? Nope. I didn't believe Mary. I ain't gonna believe you. Mass hysteria. Mary was hallucinating. All you guys are hallucinating too. I don't believe it. In fact, well, let's read it. I love it. I was just thinking when I was reading over this again, I, this, this, I just see him. I don't know why. I just see him just like, oh, yeah, let me tell him that's that part. Oh, I'm going to tell him. I mean, he may not have heard us the first time. It's just on and on and on and on and on. And then you get to the end and Thomas is like, no. Well, let's just read verse 25. I keep saying that, but boy. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands in the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never I will never believe. So they were excited to share and convince Thomas. And they knew they would, well, we can't wait to get to Thomas. They found Thomas. They knew where he was. They go to Thomas. Thomas, he said this, and then he said this, and then he did this. And we don't know how he appeared, but he just showed up. And we said, da, 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 da. Thomas, no. And uh, so, you know, talking about the importance of this, but... You ever heard somebody say, well, you know, you ever been excited about something and tell somebody and they're just kind of unmoved? Or, or something like hilarious happened and you can't wait to tell somebody and when you tell them, they're like, I, and what do you say? Well, you had to be there. I feel like that's how they all ended with Thomas. Like, well, I mean, yeah, you had to be there. Hey, by the way, did you know that did you know that you can spend time with Jesus? You know that he still appears behind locked rooms, locked doors, wherever there's an anticipation of his people. He still shows up, offers peace, direction, proof. He still offers ministry of the Holy Spirit. you know that he always knows where we will be? 
He, he will always convince us of his deity and his ability. And when you, when you have been with Jesus, there is an excitement for you to share. Did you know, that, can you remember the last time that you were filled with active voice? The imperative mood. Do you know when you look through the scripture and you see people who have been in the presence of Jesus, there's almost always following that an imperative and an active voice, imperative mood and an active voice almost every time. Because when you've been with Jesus, you're, you're lot, did you, can you imagine walking into work or walking into your home or walking into your neighborhood and having spent time with Jesus and he gives you everything that you need in order to be able to believe and to be restored. Every day he offers mercy and he offers grace. Can you imagine if we would be with Jesus like that and he appears and he shares with us and communes with us and we experience his, his presence that we would be just bounding to share the and, and, and. When's the last time you were filled with active voice? When's the last time your time with Jesus produced an excitement to share what Jesus has said and what Jesus has promised to restore the Thomases who didn't show, who have given up hope, who are broken, who are despondent and separated out? Did you know that Jesus doesn't always show up to them? Sometimes he uses his people to share what they have seen and what they have heard. I think, I don't know, I've lived there a long time in my life and since how I was taught, you share your faith because God said to. You share your, it's a command, right? It's a command. Go into all the world as you are going. Proclaim the gospel. Over and over, you have Jesus. So, Father, send me, so send I you. You have these commands. It's true, but you know what I have learned? Excitement and passion don't follow a command. Anytime I was ever directed by my parents, I might have obeyed, but it wasn't with passion or excitement. It might be obligation. And maybe there are some of us that are obedient out of obligation. It's a sad motivation. It's a sad motivation for fulfilling the ministry that God has called us to. Obligation. It's by spending time with Jesus. It's a, it's a, it's a byproduct. Active voice is a byproduct of spending time with Jesus. So despite their assurances, despite their testimonies, Thomas, Thomas can't believe it. And he says, I will not believe. And this is a pretty powerful statement. It's, it's actually in, in the original language, it's a double negative, uh, which don't always make a positive. <laughs> but it's a double negative. What he is saying is, I, I will not, I positively will not believe. But it's a, it's a, it's a can, cannot. It's it's. It's, not a, it's, it's a will not, not a cannot. It's a choice that Thomas is making. I think it's a protective choice. I think what Thomas is saying in this moment is, guys, I, can't not, I cannot, I will not 
get my hopes up again. I can't be crushed like that again. I'd rather walk away without hope than get my hopes up and be crushed even further. Now, before we come down too hard on Thomas again, I think it's very unfair what we do to him. We need, we need to think about what Luke 24, 11 says when, when, when uh, they had heard about the resurrection. It says, but these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. This is the other ones who were and, and, and. When they first heard, they were like, mm, I don't think so. Or Mark chapter 16, verse 11. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. So before we get too upset at Thomas, we need to realize that they were there first and they decided to get together, to commune together. But nothing replaces your personal experience. Someone else's experience will not replace your personal time with Jesus. Personal experience is always better than somebody else's story. And the only reason the other 10 believed is because they had had a personal experience with Jesus. Thomas was only asking for the same proof that they had already received. I think some people are still are still that way. You know, I'm gonna. I don't know why I feel. I'm gonna. Used to you could uh, you could you could share. People are no no less broken than they've ever been, and discouraged and confused. Probably more than ever. I think we are more distracted because of that. I think we're busier because of that. We're not settled and we're not quiet. We're not deliberate. We don't have margin in our life. Kind of erratic. And because of that, we're busier and we're hurt and we have more obligations and more things to do. I say all of that to simply say, regardless of why Thomas wasn't there, you know, used to, I could, and again, don't use, I'm using myself as an illustration, but I think I can prove the point. Used to, I could, I could preach a series of four or six weeks. And, and we could go, you could go from week one and build to week two and build to week three. And then it got to where, well, a lot of people wasn't here last week, so you got to spend a third of the first, of the next sermon catching people up. And then you got to tell people what you're going to tell them next week because some of them aren't going to be there. And then by the time you get to the end, you're like, what? I don't even know if it even matters or not. But now, you know what? You can preach. I can preach a four-week series and people might hear one of them. And you're trying to take people from brokenness to wholeness or from depression to joy or from questions to answers and build and show a narrative. And I've learned over the last three or four years, and I think a lot, of, I've talked to a lot of pastors, people are finding out, really just got to preach one week at a time. Back the way I grew up doing it. One week at a time because you better get all of it in in one message. Again, I know that that might feel a little bit heavy, but people are still broken. People are still lost. People are lonely and empty and frustrated. And I'm telling you, time with Jesus is the answer. Not distractions, not busyness. Whatever it is that keeps you from God, His Word, His people, you need to eliminate those things. Because we're going to continue to escalate worse and worse and further and further away from peace and joy and hope. We need to evaluate what is it that's keeping me away from life. 
sad substitute, poor substitutes. I'm telling you, the world is full of people who are moving further away. That's why your active voice and imperative mood is so important at Walmart and at TJ Maxx and at your business and at your fence and property line is because more and more people are not hearing it. Did you know I talk to people regularly who, who know nothing about Jesus? Nothing. People in Russellville who don't know that Jesus is the Son of God. They need your active voice. And your active voice is only possible if you are actively in the presence of Jesus. It's the only right motivation. Otherwise, we're just going through the motions. Verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It's funny how Jesus uses the exact same words Thomas said, unless I, I will not. Jesus used exactly the same words. My point of this is this. Regardless of what circumstance you are in, Jesus will always give you what you need in order to follow him and to be faithful to him. He will always meet you where you are and give you what you need every time. Now, there's a huge difference between disbelief and unbelief. Disbelief is an unpreparedness. I'm just not ready to buy in just yet. I have some more questions. Unbelief is a refusal. What, what Thomas actually has here is a disbelief. I have some more questions, some things I need to see, some things I need to process. And once he has them, he's a quick, a quick buy-in. Disbelief is a problem with the mind Unbelief is a problem with the heart. And as soon as Thomas's mind was fixed, he was ready to go. And then he utters one of the greatest confessions in all of Scripture. My Lord and my God. Apparently, Thomas never doubted again. After Pentecost, though, the Bible never mentions him. Now, history does. History tells us that he went on mission, uh, ultimately into India, and planted many, many churches. In fact, there are still some churches in India that claim their origin of the ministry of Thomas. Thomas was eventually uh, died with a from a spear. He finally got to die for the Lord. The chapter ends, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are the written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that may by believing you may have life in his name. It's almost like John brings this whole life of Jesus to an end in chapter 20. Again, 
I don't know what exactly John is thinking. We know that the word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it seems like John was like, oh yeah, there's one more story that I want to tell you. And it's in John chapter 21, and I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but I am going to paraphrase it for you very quickly. The Bible begins by saying that there were seven of these disciples. There was Peter, there was James, there was John, there was Thomas, there was Nathaniel. There were two other guys there that are unnamed. John seems to not think we need to know their names, and perhaps we don't need to know their names. But they are gathered together, seven of them. And I begin to think, I don't know about the other two. I don't, we, don't, we wouldn't know. But these are the guys like Peter, for instance, who has just denied Jesus three times. He's struggling. I know Jesus is the Messiah. I saw him. I just don't know who I am anymore. I thought I would die for him, but in the rooster crowed. And then you've got Nathaniel who said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then you got Thomas who missed the first day and then later said, I will not believe. You got James and John. That every time Jesus talks about crucifixion, James and John starts arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. It's funny to me how these are the guys who are together at some later date. And two other guys. Peter, I don't know what they're talking about, but Peter does what comes naturally to Peter, and he says, well, I'm going fishing. That's what a lot of guys do when they don't know what to do next. This is literally what he says, I'm going fishing. And the other one said, we're going to go with you. So they go out on the water. They spend all night on the water, and they catch nary a fish. It says as the sun begins to come up, and at the same time the roosters crow, they see a stranger on the shore. They're about 100 yards away, and he hollers out to him. He says, boys, you caught any? No, that's it. Fishermen usually have excuses. These guys are so upset. The wind's blowing too hard, or the holes are too big in the net. No, put your net on the right side. Boy, that sounds like a story we've heard before. Very quickly, they threw the net in. They go to draw the net. They can't hardly bring it in because there's so many fish in the net. And Peter says, it's Jesus. I know that story. It says he dove into the water. He swam to shore. And when he gets there, Jesus already has the charcoal hot. Already got fish and bread, just like the feeding of the 5,000. He's already got it there. They're beside themselves. And Jesus says, go get your own fish off the boat and pull it in here. I mean, this is work. He's making them do some work so they'll never forget this moment. But I want you to notice in this moment, it's like everything is like Jesus is tying up all these loose ends and reminding them, fellas, in your brokenness, I'm going to give you exactly what you need from me to be restored. But you have to look for it. You have to look for it. You have to be aligned with his purpose or you'll miss it. If you're only worried about your own condition, you're probably going to miss it. In fact, if you're only worried about your own condition, you're probably going to fight against him. But when you are aligned with him, he is always meeting you right where you are. He pulls Peter aside and says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter, 
We're restoring these three denial moments from you. Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. All of these guys were in this moment of, I know Jesus is a Messiah, but I don't know that I have what it takes. But you know what Jesus does? He meets them right where they are every time. And I'm going to close by saying that's exactly the same Jesus we serve today. He always meets us right where we are when we have made a choice to follow him and to pursue him instead of ourselves. But if as a Christian, you're going to continue to search for your own purpose and your own meaning and build your own kingdom, you're going to be nothing more than a consumer. And you're probably going to be frustrated and you're going to be confused and you're going to be without hope and without direction and you're not going to sense the real satisfaction of being restored by him. But it's only when you say yes, not partially to Jesus, but wholly to the Messiah, my Lord and my God, and you begin to walk in obedience with him. This is why holiness matters and obedience matters. It's because Jesus takes you from the deepest doubts or the deepest despair, and he, gives, he actually will use that and give you everything you need to walk vibrantly for him. Even to death. Not to comfort. Because if your goal is to live comfortably, you're probably at odds with him. So why, why would I want to follow Jesus if I'm going to be uncomfortable? I didn't say you would be uncomfortable. But comfort can't be your goal. The glory of Jesus Christ and proclaiming with an active voice, my Lord and my God, and telling people who Jesus is. This is the only way we find restoration and satisfaction in Jesus. Everything else leads you to separation, doubt, disillusionment, and I won't believe it. Yeah, that's great for you, but and that's not the faith that Jesus Christ died for, rose for, or lives for. Lord, we thank you for this time together and thank you for your, your word. And I pray today there is some clarity for us. <clears throat> I know that you are calling us further, deeper, stronger. So many of us, Lord, feel like perhaps that we've already arrived and yet we look and we say, this is not the life, this is not the life I thought. Maybe a lot like Thomas. Following Jesus has brought me to a place, this, is, this isn't where I thought I would be. There may be some here, Lord, today that living a life and they're scratching their head and saying, this is not how I thought it was going to turn out. Lord, today I pray that you would give us clarity and help us Help us to understand that we might be, as Christians, fighting against your purpose. We, we may be, as Christians, seeking, seeking you out just so you're, you can give us instead of allowing us to invest in your kingdom. Many of us may be satisfied with being a believer in Jesus, but not a disciple maker. And Lord, while there is a place in our maturity for believing, believing gives birth to following, following to working, and working into making disciples. 
So Lord, I pray that we would continue to mature and continue to grow. And as we process through life, we would continue not only to be restored from sin, but we would be restored from all of our baggage, be restored from all of our brokenness, all of our hurt, all of our hopelessness, all of our loneliness and emptiness. I pray today, Lord, that you would give us clarity when we think about our distractions, the things that are keeping us away, that keep us preoccupied. But that's just the thing. We're preoccupied. Not only from our burden, but also from our redemption, our restoration, our own resurrection. So Lord, I pray today that your, your Holy Spirit would speak to us clearly I pray that your word would do what no speaker could give us a moment of clarity to be able to evaluate the direction that we're walking with you in the time that we spend with you the ministry that we are working so hard toward may just be our own ministry and not the ministry of the kingdom So Lord, I just pray that you would speak with your Holy Spirit this morning and help us. Help us to see where we need to bow our knee. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Will you stand with me, please? If you're here, if you're here today and Maybe you're filled with doubt, despair, emptiness, loneliness, frustrations. Maybe the Jesus that you are following hasn't, hasn't quite done what you thought he would do. It might be that you weren't in the room when he's doing it. Or you expected him to do something that he never promised to do. Maybe you're not actively pursuing him, but hoping that he will continue to actively pursue you. Today, if you need to make a decision or maybe you need to receive the hope of Jesus Christ, something's going on in your life and you know that you're far from him, I'd like to ask you to come and to pray. Somebody will come pray with you or you can wave them off and pray by yourself. But today, today is the day to receive the hope from Jesus Christ. Meeting us right where we are. And so that's what we, we are right where we are today. His heart. And I just pray that we wouldn't get so busy telling you what we need that we wouldn't hear from you what we need. So thank you for giving. Thank you for restoring. Thank you for speaking to us in gentleness, smallness, so that we can pause and to be able to hear. And Lord, if there's a message for us today, it's the need to just, to just be still and know that you are God. And may we gladly receive everything that you have for us so that we can be everything that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. If you need help finding or taking your next step, 
send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.